This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Matt Chernoff from 680 The Fans, Chuck and Chernoff Show here. And I want to say thanks for listening to today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast apps. Chase Thomas went to Parkview in North Georgia. He's a local Atlanta kid, and he won't let the Luca versus Trey thing go. He interned with us back in the day, and you'll always remember him. Anyway, definitely go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com, where you can find all of Chase's previous episodes, all of his articles, and do him a solid. Leave him a rating and review if you're an Apple Podcast listener. Reminder to listen to our show, Chuck and Chernoff, Monday through Friday, 3 to 7 on 680 The Fan, and subscribe to my podcast as well. Welcome to Atlanta, wherever you get your podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello and welcome to America's favorite sports writers, Bob Silverman, up there in the Northeast of the Daily Beast. Bob, good afternoon. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Chase? I am. I'm delightful. I'm not as. Uh, I'm not living it up as much as you with your your chili making on this Friday afternoon. A little hot for chili, Bob. I was thinking about that after you told me it. It's a little little hot for chili. It, it is. It's a, it's not really a good late August food. <laughs> I, I I'll I'll cop to the fact that perhaps black bean chili is a little both heavy and spicy mm-hmm. for light summer fare. But, you know, it's a little harder to get to my farmer's market these days. So, you know, beggars, choosers, that sort of thing. Out west in the Bay Area, Dieter Kurtenbach is back. Dieter, good afternoon or good morning where you are. How are you? <laughs> yes, yeah, good morning. Um, and I, I drove up to the Pacific Northwest because I am once to do that. So uh, hello from the Puget Sound for the next couple of days, at least. Oh, oh back to the Bay it's Area. beautiful up there. That's very nice. It's, it, uh, it's truly astounding. I feel very lucky to live in the Bay Area. And then I drove up here and I'm like, man, I could have just kept going. <laughs> but even nicer. <laughs> it, is, uh, it, is, it is absolutely flabbergasting how nice it is up in Seattle in the summer. So life choices down the line, I'm sure. Hmm. So maybe that's where you, the, I, the Northwest is like on the bucket list. I, I think I would love Vancouver in that area, but it looks amazing. It looks like a perfect spot, but I have never been. Come, come in August. Okay. That's the answer. Come in August you know, because you know, every other month you know, of the year it is. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> you, you guys should talk to Vancouver, Washington resident Corbin Smith about this. He really is uh, in the sports blogosphere, the, the Pacific Northwest expert. I would say. Okay. He lives there year round. I provide <laughs> helpful tips. Yeah, he, that, I like it. I like it, and people should listen to the Corncast because it's uh, it's good. I I like it when uh, Bob and Corbin and David are on. It's good stuff. And Natalie Weiner. Yep. Yeah, good stuff. But uh, don't listen to it now because, folks, guess what? We have a podcast going, and we're actually better than Corbin's <laughs> podcast. So shots fired. <laughs> Fuck Corbin. I'm not anyway. making podcast judgment calls. I'm just saying the man knows the the, the the local terrain of the Pacific Northwest. That's all I'm saying. It's okay. not a qualitative thing. It better not be, Bob. Better not be. Uh, no. Look, a, every podcast is its own unique, beautiful mm. snowflake. And comparing one to the other is, is an exercise in futility. Okay. I know. You can. That's fine. We'll we'll work with that. Um, the first thing I want to talk about today: NBA players uh, were prepared. Like uh, we found out today that the Clippers thought their season was over. We have conflicting reports about what Patrick Beverly said to Michelle Roberts during these hectic late night, early morning calls. <laughs> I 
there's so much moving parts. Where do we start? He got mad, man. I I mean, uh, let me just, I think, all right, here's the one thing I want to say uh, before we get really get into the piece of this. I don't think a thorough documentation and reporting on the NBA union has ever really taken place. I can't think, I think that the closest we've come is an article by, by speaking of the blogosphere of, of, by um, Nathaniel Friedman, AKA Free Darko, who wrote a long story at the Baffler a couple of months ago, which is more about the history of the NBA union. Uh, Let's just say I have, I have questions about the way that the union serves the rank and file and sports unions that they, they range from, often quite ineffectual to extremely good. But I, I, I you know, people hail Michelle Roberts and, and, and with good reason. I'm just wondering, to me, there's a story to be written about what the role in the union has been throughout the last three months and whether they are best serving its membership. Let's leave it at that. Patrick Beverly's story, which was leaked to make Patrick Beverly look as bad as humanly possible, notwithstanding. I like the idea where someone was like, well, um, clearly uh, this was somebody who did not like Patrick Beverly in the NBA who leaked this. So we've narrowed our suspects <laughs> down to everybody. <laughs> it was probably Kawhi in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> look, yeah. Michelle Roberts tried to post up T-Bev and it, and it went badly. So what are you going to do? <laughs> I'm I'm with I'm with I'm sorry, go ahead, on this. No, no, no. I'm, I just want to I just want to say that I agree with you inherently because uh, the unions across the the world of sports have have not been helping out the rank and file as of late. But it does seem to be universal, and uh, I can understand wholly why everything is so challenging right now in the NBA and why these meetings were unquestionably fraught, even if we don't have a good understanding, a good accounting of what has gone down in them, a good detailing. Not only are we dealing with very heavy issues that of course uh, affect others, uh, black men and black women far more than they'll ever emotionally affect me, a white male. And I'm emotionally affected by them. I just, I I try to emphasize, but I can't live those moments. So um, there's that. And then beyond that, they've, they've been in this bubble for 50-something days now. And conceptually, the bubble obviously had <laughs> bubble and all this stuff. And, and the players understood whole, wholly why they had to go into the bubble. It was an economic decision. But then once you're in the belly of the beast, you're like, get me the hell out of this bubble, man. Like, I don't want to be here without my family any longer. And you're telling me if I want to win a championship, I got to do this until October. Like I do think that there is a very, who knows what the ratio is, but I do think there's a very uh, significant portion of this, which is people are just emotionally frayed. And now you've added in uh, an incredibly emotionally challenging issue uh, for, for, for black Americans. It should be for all Americans, but particularly for black Americans. And I I just, to expect that, anything would have gone better, right? Like to expect that this stuff to not boil over is just, it's just foolhardy. These are, these are still human beings with raw emotions. And um, listen, it wasn't very well planned out. Clearly Uh, the bucks uh, had every reason in the world to make a stand. I I think that you have to commend all the other players for, for standing by the bucks. And then you have to understand that it wasn't going to be easy to just get back to the uh, in terms of reporting, you're, you're getting it from a thousand different, well, I guess there's literally hundreds of different sources, and everybody's texting their favorite NBA insider to let them know. Uh, <laughs> I, I've gone with sort of the, the Chris Haynes model, because I think Chris is uh, the, the most liked guy amid players, uh, and the players are the one ultimately who are making these decisions and are in the the belly of the beast and, and they're the ones feeling these emotions. And I feel like Chris is also in the belly of the beast. And so I'm going with Chris on this one, just uh, knowing Chris and knowing, uh, knowing his, uh, his group of guys that he talks to I feel pretty good about that. And um, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it was, it was now looking back on it. It felt so unbelievable in the moment, but looking back on it in hindsight, always being 2020, 
it's shocking that it actually got resolved this quickly. It's shocking that, you know, guys were able to, the clear heads were able to prevail, at least from the economic standpoint of the NBA in such a short period of time. And uh, I I cannot wait for that full true recounting of the stories of these last couple of days. when they do come out, of course, years from now when, uh, when I guess Haynes writes a book or something, because it should be uh, pretty damn good. Yeah. Just to, just to piggyback on something you said, I mean, we spent, uh, or we, a lot of people, including me, I'm sure, in some tweets, were clowning on Paul George for his lousy shooting percentage in the, in the game, <laughs> in the first handful of games against the Mavs. And, you know, that's a normal sports reaction. There is nothing wrong with, um, there's nothing wrong with, 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 with getting off some joke tweets about a guy with a sub 30% percentage from the field. These are normal things that fans do. These are normal things that reporters do. Um, And then, you know, you realize, like, wait a second, what actually is this person going through that might hinder his ability to hit a spot of three? And it's it's sort of like, oh, oh, right. That's right. They've been literally living in isolation for who knows how long. I mean, you know, we're all Every single person, most of America has been dealing with not being able to have contact with family. Most of Americans know someone who's gotten sick. Most of Americans have dealt in some degree with the economic hardships uh, that, that have come along with all this. And, and I'm not putting what the NBA players, you know, there's this weird thing where it's like, yeah, but they're millionaires. And I'm like, yeah, but fuck you. I don't care. Like, come on. Like, <laughs> Empathy doesn't, you, it like, works across the board. You can't pick and choose when you want to be empathetic. Yeah, him. like I, I'm sorry. The fact that he's making a lot of money to do this is utterly irrelevant. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, there's this very sort of sportsy idea, or, or an idea that is often enforced in sports, which is like, well, not just the money. There's this very, let's say, masculine notion that the inability to overcome an emotional issue less than somehow. Um, and that it is a sign of weakness or failure. It's the fact that whatever trauma and, and anxiety Paul George may or may not be dealing with, and, and we don't know the whole story there, so I don't want to seem as if I'm offering a you know armchair diagnosis. But he clearly has, as he said, has been it's been weighing on him, and the fact that that has impacted his stuff on the court. Well, guess what? That's completely normal. And the fact that, and, and like Peter said, the fact that it hasn't impacted more guys is in and of itself kind of remarkable. I mean, the, the well, news as far as we know, broke, right? we, like as far as, as, we, far know, as we know, more guys. Yeah. right. Or it hasn't, or more guys have not come. The fact that more guys have not spoken about it openly, that in and of itself mm-hmm. is not very remarkable at all. Um, right. I mean, the news just broke literally, I think 10 minutes ago that um, the NBA has announced a return to play. For, for everyone turning into the Chase Thomas podcast for breaking news. Oh, yes. Um, so, that is what they come here for, folks. Absolutely. Bob, I love want, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the NBA, like, the, there's a lot of talk. The NBA and the players have an agreement. There's some talk about, you know, um, a social justice advisory council. But the, the really cool thing is they're going to turn more arenas into polling places. And for everyone saying, well, why are they protesting? They don't have concrete goals, which, one, again, I think is, uh, uh, a way of avoiding the actual problems of state-sanctioned violence being inflicted on people of color. Two, there's your concrete goal. They are going to try to get more people yes. to polls, and that is, regardless of who you vote for, a good thing. It's a very good mm-hmm. thing, especially given the number of polling places that have been reduced in urban centers over the last four years. Mm-hmm. Breaking news! Bye, Bob. We'll be back with weather in a second. I love it. I love it. Um, I have a question for you guys. Do you, because this was something I saw pop up a little bit um, after the fact, was that Kyrie was now vindicated based on this response and that Kyrie's concerns, or not even just concerns, but his thoughts of using this power in this moment um, and using this political capital that they have right now um, would be the the best way to go, like the more fruitful approach. And... Uh, he got obviously got a lot of pushback and because it's Kyrie, he's going to get pushback. But do you think 
his thoughts from it feels like forever ago now um are vindicated and that that is a fair assessment of what has happened and that Kyrie was actually he made the right call there at that time and um his head was in the right space before everybody else's was well okay his head was in the right space. The problem was that Kyrie spoke in an absolute, right? Yeah. Uh, and the fact is that there are still, there were still economic factors in play. And as much as, you know, Kyrie can speak with this impunity towards no one go to the bubble, everyone stay home and, and work on this cause together. I mean, that's easy for a guy who plays and wouldn't play for the Brooklyn Nets to say. It's a much different thing for LeBron James, who's trying to win another title for his legacy. It's a much different thing for James Harden, who doesn't have a title. Like, these guys are fighting. And we've seen how competitive the games have been once the bubble, you know, started to a degree. And now, especially since the playoffs have gone down. I mean, these guys are going for it. They're actually playing hard. You don't have to worry about second-rate basketball, and in fact, you could argue that it's first-rate basketball, despite the amount of shot-making and bad defense the Denver Nuggets are playing, but that's a different story. Um, it's Kyrie is vindicated only in the sense of um, his, his take wasn't 100% off, and I will defer to Jalen Brown, who reportedly so take it, but I, knowing Jalen a little bit from his time at Cal and uh, having, you know, watched closely and um, talked to plenty of people who, who spend a lot of time around him over the last couple of years with, with the Celtics. I mean, it, it sounds like Jalen to me, so I'm going to I'm gonna take it for uh, at face value. Jalen Brown telling people, listen, you're allowed to opt out. You, no one's, you know, if, if you want to go, if you want to leave the bubble, no one is stopping you. But what are you going to do when you get home? Are you going to be in the fray? Are you going to be on the front lines? Are you going to be out there, you know, leading peaceful protests and all this stuff? Or are you just going to sit at home and watch the games and be happy to be with your family? So, you know, talk all you want. Are you going to do it? And ultimately, I think that the cooler heads of Andre Vidala, who I'm certain, knowing Andre very well, was uh, very clear about the economic aspect of this and letting everybody know, as Michelle Roberts did, uh, maybe Pat Beverly didn't want to hear it, but alas, uh, it, it needs to be said. There are billions of dollars on the line, and not just for the NBA. I mean, for the players. They are equity partners in the NBA. And the estimation that I have heard is that salaries had the bubble bu- had the bubble bursted. Had they not finished, salaries are going to go down by 40% next year, 35 to 40%. And this would have been a decision that would have not – you can't reverse – revenue loss like that over the course of a year or two. I mean, we're talking a decade-long problem for the NBA in terms of revenue loss. They already have big-time problems that are going to take a decade to fix, and that's if they finish, that's if they get all their TV money. Uh, And the players' union has been so impressive, especially compared to other players' unions over the last 10 or so years with Chris Paul and LeBron James in charge, amongst other people, in increasing the slice of the pie that the NBA players get of that NBA revenue pie. So I always found it a bit foolhardy to believe that LeBron James was going to rashly storm out of a meeting uh, after fighting very hard, something he deeply cares about, for more than half of his NBA career, that he would let that all go up in smoke in an afternoon, though it does lend credence to how seriously these NBA players were about the issue and the issue that is still at hand in in Jacob Blake shooting and and police brutality and the league not doing enough and absolutely not being in the bubble and all this stuff. They were, they were, they were ready to blow it up. Now, were they going to do it? I don't know. There's a mutually assured destruction angle here. uh, And and perhaps that was the reason why it was never going to go down. If Kyrie vindicated, I, I don't think so because Kyrie was again speaking, don't even bother going. Don't use the platform of the bubble at all. It is a worthless platform in many senses. Uh, and that's just not true. And I think the players now in the bubble knew that to be true. And beyond that, it would have, it would have financially, you know, it would have financially ruined the NBA. And um, it's just never the right take. It's just never the right take, especially, and it's so easy again for Ty- Kyrie, who has made all the money in the world already, uh, generational wealth. Uh, has, has, by all accounts, you know, handled that money in, in very smart ways. So it's not as if, you know, he, he needs the cash. And it's not as if he was actually going to compete for a title, not him nor his team. So I, I don't think he's vindicated, though, of course, everyone didn't actually read what he said in full. And so they think that he is because the headline said so. Bob, what do you think? 
I, I, I think <laughs> I, I, in part, I agree. Uh, in part, I agree with Peter. I, I, I think yeah. I would not say that he's been vindicated, but I don't think he's been proven wrong either. I think it's all um, I think I think I would argue, and I, and I did argue in a story that went up at the Daily Beast about a day and a half ago, um, that I do think if you are talking in terms of activism and in terms of having an impact, playing games, I do not think has helped the players in that end. I think if... If a, if a major pro league shut down in a civil rights protest, and that had been the case for the last three months, and had occurred, as you said, billions of dollars in not just losses this year, but in a decade stretching forward, I think the impact mm -hmm. of what, what that would have had on on this uprising over the last three months, I, I don't, I can't begin to reverse engineer what the actual impact would be, but I do feel confident right. in saying that it would be certainly different than if they were doing their, if they were working, if they were continued with the games. Yeah. So in the, with a lot of Kyrie, with a lot of the things that Kyrie says, it's like, yeah, you're not wrong, comma, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's Kyrie in a nutshell. Like, yeah, it's like, you know, paraphrasing, it's paraphrasing the Big Lebowski. You're not wrong, Kyrie. You're just Kyrie. Um, <laughs> like, you know, and, and unfortunately, the reputation that he's garnered is someone who will say things because he is amused by what the response is going to be. If you want to call that a troll, if you want to call that, mm -hmm. you know, whatever. I think Kyrie is a fascinating and interesting player. And uh, I, I think sometimes the things he says publicly don't help himself public perception wise. Um, so, yeah, I think my point is, I don't think he, I don't think he's been, I, I don't I think it's been either a question. I don't think he's been, I don't think it's time for a rehab Kyrie. He was the great soothsayer all along tour, but I don't think, it means he, I think, I think he took a lot of heat for what he said at the time. And I don't think, I don't think that was justified. Either. Um, and again, you know, look, if Kyrie wanted to sit out and just spend the last three months with his family and that's what he wanted to do, that's entirely justified. I have no criticism of that at all. I don't think anyone else should either. Regardless of his financial status, regardless of how much he squirreled away in the bank account, if he said, like, no, there are, I have a litany of reasons why I just want to take care of my kids right now. Yeah, man, great. Go, do that. Um, and I think even if that were the case, and he also said, I don't think other people should go play, I think that's. I think you. I think that is understandable too, if not the most productive messaging. I think that's fair. So that that's kind of yeah. That's where I am. That's yeah. where I'm by Kyrie. I think. Look, and again, like we're saying, this is coming up with being able to speak when a microphone is in your hand and formulating a statement that one speaks to this unprecedented moment in history, and two does so while invariably speaking on behalf of a, an entire ethnic group, not just basketball players, but people of color. I'm sorry, if someone put that, put that microphone in front of me, I think I would go run and hide rather than ask that question because I'd be terrified of screwing it up and saying the wrong thing. We are putting an enormous amount of pressure and weight on still relatively young men who in varying degrees have a, you know, a political ethos and belief system and are dedicated to furthering that goal. It is a burden the likes of which I know I could not begin to fathom. I mean, granted, if someone put a microphone in front of me and asked me to speak for like, I don't know, middle-aged Jews, I'm sure I would still do it, but... <laughs> <laughs> but that's uh, you might keep it tight. Yeah, yeah. If someone says, "Can you please speak for the for the for the great unwashed mass of Brooklyn bloggers?" I'd say, "Okay, yeah, fine. I'm your leader. I'm the captain." <laughs> but it's still it's it's still a massive, massive, massive um, 
you know, burden that is being placed. To, and, and, and I think in some ways it's, it's not, I, I'm saying I'm, I'm willing to forgive ill, ill considered phrases, badly expressed thoughts and emotions for all the reasons we've discussed. That's fair. Well, we'll leave it there. Um, the next thing I wanted to discuss, Earl Thomas got cut this week. And Earl Thomas is still very good yeah. at football. Earl Thomas uh, has had one of the weirdest sports years of any professional athlete, I think, in America. Um, I love, shout out to Austin Dale, <laughs> friend of the pod, who said that uh, Philly was a natural landing spot for him because it is the city of brotherly love. So no. I... No! <laughs> that uh, made, made me very, very, very happy. Love that. Um <laughs> So shout out to him. So good. But yeah, I mean, that feels like 93 stories ago, but he posted tape of what happened this week. And I I just, I don't know what Earl Thomas is thinking. I don't understand what his end game is here. Like this was a perfect spot for him and Baltimore doesn't have a better in-house option um, right now to replace him. They're deep at corner. They're deep at uh, linebacker at the moment, but they are not deep um where he is i mean i guess they can call tom sabikowski and get him back in there let's see what what he's doing these days um but i i think it's interesting because he really was someone who over the last couple of years like he flicks off his coach as he gets carted off because of what happened with this contract in seattle and that ended horribly and then we have the the brother stuff and then we have now him freelancing and just getting into fights and throwing his helmet and lo- just getting really angry and i i don't know like what happens with earl thomas is he just like is any team gonna touch him would you want to bring him in um, if you're the San Francisco 49ers, a team you're very familiar with, Dieter, like what would you yeah. do if you're uh, you're one of these teams that needs some help? Because he's not the superstar he was a couple years ago, but he's still a very good player and should be a starter somewhere. But there is now a lot of baggage. Yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, baggage has not been an issue for some NFL teams. I would venture to say that the 49ers aren't desperate enough then maybe there is no NFL team that's currently desperate enough to, to roll the dice on Earl Thomas and, and see if, uh, see if it comes out okay for him. Uh, it is, listen, there's a lot of respect for the Baltimore Ravens as well. There should be, it is one of the best run franchises in all professional sports, much less you know, just the NFL. And if the Ravens are cutting this dude and really showing no remorse. It didn't feel like a dragged out process at all, right? It was very swift. It was just get the hell out of here. Don't come back. Uh, best of luck to you in your future endeavors, you jerk. Uh, that was the response the Ravens gave, and the Ravens a team that no. will put up with some stuff. Like, that tells you something, and I think the rest of the NFL took heed of that. Will they still remember that moment in week three the starting free safety in a cover three system goes down? I don't know. I doubt that they do. I think that they, they get real weird with it and they try to salvage their season. And whether that be in Dallas or San Francisco or a team that we're not talking about yet, uh, certainly the cover three has uh, spread further, even though it's a failed defensive system in my estimation. Um, it's, uh, it's, I think Earl Thomas will get a job this season. Again, he's too good not to. Uh, but the baggage is going to keep him keep him off the playing field for a while. And we should remember, I mean, I, I dealt with Antonio Brown, uh, well, for at least the, the first part of last year when the Raiders were still in my backyard and uh, he was still an NFL player. Um, you get a lot of rope, but once you lose your rope, you don't get it back really in the NFL. I don't know if Earl Thomas, I, I'd imagine that Earl Thomas still had a little bit of rope. Um, the Antonio Brown stuff is uh, deeply uncomfortable even to think back on. It was really difficult in the moment because, there, there, I mean, there, there, there's a screw or two loose, and we know the reality that the sport of football knocks screws loose. Um, we don't want to, you know, infer anything. We certainly can't, you know, get a snapshot of the brain and see if uh, if, if that happened. But, man, it is, it, it is just something you have to walk on eggshells with in terms of a topic of conversation. Earl Thomas has played the game very hard for a good period of time here. And I don't know if he's changed, but certainly – 
uh, he seems to be in an emotionally frayed state of some sort. Uh, I, I don't think that he's making the same decisions now that he was making a while back, and I don't think it's from the wisdom of age either. Um, I, I, if I'm a team, I'm, I'm, I'm nervous about that because, man, I, I, you saw what Antonio Brown did. You saw you just don't want the hoopla. The hoopla can't be worth it. And, um, you know, safety, as much as we want to talk about it, is this all-important position. Like, no one cares about safety that much in order to, to bring in a possible headache like that. But I do imagine that he'll get another job because maybe, maybe safety looms very, very large for a team in the matter of a couple of weeks. Do you think the Niners ultimately are the team that signed him? That Sherman is just like, let's just go get him. I, I'll, I got this. Well, if any, if any team could pull it off, if, if, you know, if Earl Thomas is, is frayed as perhaps he seems to be right now, uh, Richard Sherman is not, I mean, Richard Sherman is the, the coolest, calmest, most collected customer I've ever been around in the NFL locker room on the defensive side of things. I mean, you have to be a lunatic to play defense in the NFL. And, and I mean, this man is, is an unbelievable uh, bastion of wisdom. And, and I mean, I, I just, I, I so very much value having Richard Sherman just sort of kind of in my life, uh, the same way that I did with Andre Iguodala with the Warriors. Like, it was just great to have somebody that smart and that insightful around just to, just to make me a little bit better every day. Uh, he could probably pull it off. It's interesting that he hasn't really pounded the table yet, uh, that uh, uh, perhaps that's just he feels safety. The 40 just re-signed Jimmy Ward to um, to a contract. Uh, they, they do have Jaquaski Tart at strong safety, who's a really good player. They're trying to do more cover two stuff. I don't think it's San Francisco unless somebody gets injured, and I, I don't want to really go down that path. If Ward gets injured, we're going to have the conversation, and maybe – just maybe it goes down i'd give it maybe a 10 15 percent chance uh of it of it actually happening and something something bad would have to happen first as is the want in the nfl that's just how things go so right now no uh without injury no and even with injury perhaps not bob do you want the jets to bring him in replace uh uh, (laughs) (laughs) it's time for the jets yeah it's time to replace jamal adams with earl thomas that'd be very jetsy it, it certainly would. <laughs> I mean, the Jets haven't done anything incredibly stupid in a while. I feel like we're overdue. They haven't done any, 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 they haven't done it. Like we've had Le'Veon Bell complaining about playing time already and there are no preseason games. So that was kind of fun. Um, like, honestly, I'm just waiting out the, as a, speaking as a Jets fan, everybody laugh, everybody laugh, get your laughing out. Okay. Speaking as a Jets fan, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just honestly, like, I, I just, I'm just waiting for them to, 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 to realize that Adam Gage is not the coach to lead this team to the promised land so he can be fired and they can start the whole rigmarole back up again. Um, <laughs> and so, no, I, I, I don't think investing um, any of their precious cap space in Earl Thomas, a 30-year-old, correct? Or is he 29? God, it feels like Earl Thomas has been in the NFL. Whatever it is, he's, a, he's, a, uh, he's football old. He's football old, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I feel like they're going to roll with, with Marcus May, who they're going to have to pay next year anyway, and, you know, try out this, the McDougal who they got from the Seahawks and the, the Cal kid who they drafted. Yeah, Ashton Davis went to Cal. Peter, back me up on that. I'm right, right? Yes? No? He, he did, Ashton. He, and he's, uh, yeah. he's a damn good player. They, they actually have three really good safeties yeah. in my estimation. Yeah, I think they're fine. I, I don't think the Jets need to bring in a player who could possibly – stir up the locker room <laughs> right now. They, they, so, no, I do not think so. I wanted to go to the Cowboys. I like the old days when the Cowboys just signed every free agent who was available. And by old days, I mean last season. <laughs> so, yeah, let's get a little Thomas to the Cowboys. That's my pick. I've tossed around whether or not I want him in Atlanta. Like, Ricardo Allen gets... It, it, like The idea where Falcons fans like, we got Ricardo Allen and Keanu Neal. And I'm like, well, okay. This has never literally happened. Like it's the perfect uh, like scenario. Yeah, I would love a 16 game season from Keanu Neal and Ricardo Allen. That has not happened yet, and it probably will not happen because unfortunately those two guys seem to be made of glass. And they're both good when they're on the field, but 
I, I'm not optimistic. And also, just like, do we want that in the locker room? Are we worried about that? Like, this team has to win this year, or everyone's fired. Like, everyone is fired. And I I don't know. At this point, I'm like, are no, you, screw it. Not my Todd, locker room. Are you excited about Todd's? Are you excited about 15 carries from Todd Gurley every game? Is that a fun thing I for saw you? 15 to 25, to? and I was like, what, what world are we living in? And the Todd Gurley stuff just sucks anyway <laughs> because fans in this – I mean, I don't live there anymore. But the conversations about Todd Gurley when that first happened was just like, um, he'll get he'll, maybe he's rejuvenated. It's like it's not a rejuvenation thing. It's not like he was just like unhappy in <laughs> oh. Los Angeles. They paid for him to go <laughs> away. His knee, his oh, yeah. knee is gone, man. Both knees are his gone. Knee, he has knee arthritis. It, like, it's over. He is it, not going to be that person His knee again. is crab meat. <laughs> I hate it. Like, it's running back, the way the running back always, I hate, look, I love a, a good break. There is very few, aside from a receiver busting out for an 80-yard catch, there is very, there are very few things more fun in football than, you know, uh, uh, an Adrian Peterson like breakaway run like that's the good fun cool shit and all those guys they just this game winds them down to dust so quickly running backs just given the size of defensive players and offensive players now running backs just don't last it makes me sad I hate it Chris I Johnson went from like I mean, the, the fastest teams. coolest running back of like the, my early 20s to just he can barely move very quickly. Like, it just was night. I like Alvin yeah. Kamara was cool for a year, <laughs> and he was already showing signs of having lost half a step at, in his third season. That's ridiculously yeah. bad. I don't like that. I'm like, oh, my God, Alvin Kamara is incredibly cool. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, that the is... Fact that, the fact that Darren... Darren Sproles hanging around for as long as he has and still being able to juke a middle linebacker out of his cleats. That's awesome. And it's so rare. I'm sorry. Go ahead, dear. I'm remembering some running backs on the Dar- that I like. On the, Darren Spr- on the Darren Sproles thing, it's nice that no coach has ever trusted him to run between the tackles because they're afraid he might die like that. And, and it's just improved his career immensely that no one ever has asked him to run between the tackles not once. Whereas all these other guys, you, that's exactly right. And everybody tackles low now because of the rules. And yeah. uh, I guess not too low and who the hell knows. And so, yeah, just one twisted knee. And it's like, that's not coming back. I mean, you just know the, the, the reality of, of getting older and such is life. And you have a 330-pound man who's raw muscle hitting you in the leg. Like, you're not coming back from that. I mean, it's amazing that you can even get up and run afterwards. Every football game that I've ever been on, this, NFL game I've ever been on the sidelines for, uh, gives me PTSD. I mean, it, it's just frightening how fast and big and uh, ruthless oh, these yeah, players that. are. And so the notion of playing running back, it's like, geez, that's, that's, it's beyond beyond the pale for me. Uh, and and let's, if we want to keep trashing Todd Gurley, like uh, trashing Todd Gurley to the level of his knee is trashed, um, it's not like he had great vision to begin with. I mean, I, I remember watching yeah. Todd Gurley in a preseason game his rookie year and I'm sitting, you know, way up there in the press box. And I just remember being like, how do you not see that giant hole on the right side? Why are you running directly into the back of your center? And eventually, you know, uh, Sean McVay told him, like, no, 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 go where you can drive a Mack truck through. And if his body gave out with the blocking that the Rams had, year in and year out with him behind, I mean, uh, nobody, nobody stands a chance. And, uh, yeah, it's 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 very frustrating. I grew up a White Sox fan. Still, I'm a White Sox fan, and the White Sox never signed, re-signed starting pitchers. It was like a, an organizational ethos. One because they were cheap. And two, I was going to say uh, Reinsdorf, baby. Believed, yeah, one because they were cheap, and two because they believed that outside of Mark Burley, who threw 87 miles per hour, that every single one of them was a, a financial liability. So it was really two because they were cheap. Um, and boy, you see pitchers go, you know, 99, 100 easy. Um, and now everyone's getting Tommy John surgery. It's like, man, the White Sox were onto something. Now, the reasons why weren't, weren't great, but they were onto something. Now, and, and so I've just kind of always, I've always held that belief, like that pitchers were bad, bad contract investments unless you were getting them, you know, after something. You, know, you, you just don't sign pitchers to, you know, nine figure deals. The same thing right now is absolutely true for running backs. And it's been 
plainly obvious oh, yeah. for a while and we don't have to like the reality of it, but it's the reality. I mean, and, uh, so, you know, good luck, good luck to the Falcons. Uh, I, listen, I, God damn there's it, a lot Dieter. of good coaches on that staff and, and they're going to be, and they're going to be on a lot of good teams after this season. I, I think that the diaspora is going to benefit the NFL as a whole. Um, the so, last, so of, Oh yeah, go ahead. Just to, Jump, jumping on, there was one one of the real one of the real eye opening reporting experiences I had is when I first went to um, the Las Vegas Summer League about uh, seven years ago, and you know at the Cox Pavilion, um, and not less so at the, the the glorious Thomas and Mack Center on at UNLV at the yeah. Cox Pavilion, they would you would seat reporters literally right under the basket in a series of rows under behind the photographers underneath the basket. And like, you know, I, I, I was always jammed in the, when I would report from a game, I was jammed in the press box way up. So for the first time I was just right there and I'm watching, you know, NBA summer league action. So it's not the best athletes and they're, you know, they're playing at summer league speed uh, and it's not an organized game. And at one point it was a Spurs game and then Spur Aaron Baines comes crashing behind the basket, going for a loose ball, and nearly crushed uh, Steve McPherson and me. And that was the largest human being I ever saw in my fear for my life. I was like, oh my God, Aaron Baines is going to kill me right now. He didn't. I lived. Spoiler alert. Um, but <laughs> but just watching those games from the summer league and and you know basketball, in theory, not a contact sport, but the amount of the speed and the athleticism and the amount of punishment that these guys took was staggering. And in watching that, I, it just made me think, dear God, being in an actual hockey game or a football game with football, real professional sized people. That's it's, it's, it's really one of those things where you kind of need to see it up close to truly understand the, the awesome spectacle that you're listening to, you know, TV flattens everything out and it makes it, and it, 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 the relative size of everyone involved, whether it's football or basketball or baseball or even tennis normalizes just the actual, like, normalizes athletes to a certain degree and it's, it's distorting, but actually being up close. There's, there's a, there's a moment where, where David Foster Wallace is, he's, he's, it's, he wrote a blog or story called string theory about like the hundredth ranked player in the world. And Wallace was played himself, played, you know, youth tennis and was a good competitive, you know, junior high and high school age tennis player. Not good enough to ever even sniff the pros, but he was good for, you know, the Plains area amateur tennis. And he was just hitting all around with the guy and volleying with the hundredth ranked pro in the world. And he, he writes about how that was one of the most humbling experiences of entire life and destroyed any notion that he might've had of being good enough. Like it just, it, right. it, I, I highly recommend to everyone if they have the opportunity, watch athletes even just practice up close and you will have a very different perception of both the awesome spectacle and the toll that the games take on the people who play it. I speaking of awesome, yes. I, I am so excited <laughs> for this, Bob. I know I, I'm just going to get the hell out of the way. I, I know. That's what I was about to say. I'm getting out of the way for, I mean, he just did a great one here, but part two, Bob, um, Mr. Brody right. and the Will Ponds <laughs> and the Manfred. It just, How do you spell his name fuck? anyway? It's not clear to me. <laughs> How do you spell his name? Because the Mets ownership doesn't seem to know. They misspelled his name twice in one <laughs> He is, he is in theory, their general manager. It was look, we all have, and for all of us who spend any considerable amount of time marinating in the news cycle, it can be kind of terrifying, but the Mets just stepping on their own dicks for about four hours straight. Oh, God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 
And being so, well, they in the Marlins, like, organized this incredibly powerful, deferential, like, uh, impactful protests. And meanwhile, there is leaked video of first their general manager calling the commissioner of baseball a useless fuckwit, which spot the lie. And then hours later saying, actually, I misunderstood. I didn't mean to call the commissioner of baseball a useless fuckwit. I meant to call my boss a useless <laughs> fuckwit, which also spot the lie. Um, <laughs> and I was like, wait a second. Wait a second. Did Brindy did, 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 did Van Wogenen decide that was he telling the truth the first time, which I honestly think he was, and think his future in baseball and going back to being Asian was so necessarily tied to not making a powerful enemy in the commissioner's office that he felt it was better to hit the accelerator button on his own firing now? Is that what happened? Because he really did not seem very confused about who had said what. Oh, God. And it's like, he's rocking an imaginary chair, like baby in the chair in the video, and saying, listen, guys, this is between both of us, while someone three feet away is clearly pointing a camera at them. <sighs> I love it so. I love it so much. It's so wonderful and great. The Mets rule. The Mets are the Mets. <laughs> Thank you, Mets. I wish I could have been a fly on the wall during that meeting when Wilpon is like, you were. Oh, I I just can you imagine how you go to your boss after just saying that publicly and then your boss being like you know that was actually me and you're like what do you even do do you just fire yourself like what I don't even know what I'd, I'd do in that situation uh, like and and he still has a job now somehow after say, like, if you're assuming in the second thing that he's telling the truth, and this was Jeff Wilpon's idiotic idea to come out, make a statement, leave, and then come back an hour later and play the game, like... Are we uh, sure the NBA referees I, did not come up with this idea? I don't know! A-Rod, can you please come and buy the Mets now? I mean, that's going to be its own particular brand of shit show having a rod as a minority figurehead owner because once his name got once his look the a rod ped stuff uh, ended up giving a rod a whole bunch attaching a whole bunch of like moral and ethical questions to his career that i think were, were always kind of ridiculous and i didn't really care about that you know he was using the roids i never did um, I don't think anyone in America and really did. You, I, I think there are core baseball fans here. I think, I think it's just baseball writers, old school baseball writers. I really think I, that's it. I don't think it's. Mm-hmm. I really don't think it is. I, I kind of think it is. I, I think it's players who care, and I think that's the most important thing. Um, if like me not caring if a player is juicing is one thing, but if the other players care, I think that's worth listening. Right. Um. But in any case, the moment his name got leaked as a possible owner, suddenly he's saying like, well, you know, I think we ought to start considering a salary cap. And maybe <laughs> these guys earn too much money. I'm like, mother fluffer, you've got $200 million and we're on the road. Shut the hell up. Like you were there to pose for pretty pictures with J-Lo and sign checks. Salary cap? Go, go fuck yourself, A-Rod. Now I'm mad. I, I, that oh made me God. legitimately mad. Yeah, him him talking about like uh, you know responsible spending. I was like, one, it's not your check to, to write. You are being bankrolled by some hedge fund anyway, so it's not your goddamn money, A Rod. Spend the money that's not yours. Do not talk about the salary cap. Fuck you. <laughs> that made me legitimately angered. But in any case, look, the fact is the myth. Still, the Mets have not been able to afford to run a, even incompetence aside. They have not been able to afford a major league baseball team in New York for well over for over a decade now. And how they've remained in the good graces of, of the commissioner's office is a truly fascinating question. Um, but again, I, I'm not even mad at the Mets for that spectacle. I genuinely needed that at that particular moment. It was delightful. <laughs> Dieter, what do you think? 
I echo everything that Bob said. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, no, it's, 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 it's tremendous. It's tremendous that uh, baseball had, um, you know, you saw nationally how far it was, you know, just up its own ass. And uh, it's nice to know that that's also, you know, happening on a micro level as well, that uh, teams are just fully incompetent and don't know don't know what they're doing it's just you know it's just a good reminder that uh you know a lot of times especially in this this terrible racket that is you know sports writing and commentary and analysis you think like you know maybe i should defer to the you know people who kind of run the show so you know maybe i maybe i should you know just give some deference there and and understand like they're probably taking all of these things into account they're smart guys and gals you know, it just, uh, you know, what do I know? I'm just some sports writer. And it's nice to be reminded every now and again that you're smarter than them. And um, it just makes me feel better. And that's really what we're here for. I like it. I like it. All right. Well, we'll leave it there. I uh, I am excited for more Metsy stuff over the weekend because I think this story is not done. <laughs> I think uh, this is going to be a really weird weekend of sports and we still have a lot of other stuff coming on in the playoff. Like, I just, I don't even know what to expect, but I just know the Mets are going to stay the Mets and I appreciate I, that. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a wonderful note that like, it, nature is healing. Nature uh, I is mean, healing. if the Mets, if the Mets are going to screw up in such a wonderfully public and glorious way, maybe there's hope for some normalcy because nothing says the world is back to what it was in the before times. Like the Mets just putting a whole bunch of rakes in front of them and going full shot to Bob. Well, we need the Knicks to explore uh, <laughs> trading for... Uh, who could we see come out of the weekend that the Knicks are targeting? Uh, this, uh, this Marcus, Marcus Morris. That would be. Marcus Morris. Mar- I like oh. it. Marquise. They need to get Marquise back. They need, they need both. They need the other. Then they, I keep waiting for the Knicks to do something. Like, it's weird to sort of be cautiously optimistic as a Knicks fan because that's some Charlie Brown, you know, Lucy and the football stuff. Oh, yeah. So far, Talk about rakes. So far, so far everything that, that, that the, the, the Leon Rose regime has done has been pretty normal. I mean, I didn't want yeah. Thibodeau to be the, uh, that wasn't my first choice, but it's a defensible choice. And it's a, it's an arguable choice. It's not Jason Kidd after all. So, you know, poor okay, way out for cool. RJ Barrett's knees. Yeah. Like I, I think, I think, I think a, a next thing that's going to pick up steam, if I'm going to get into the whole prediction game is they're going to, they're going to be a lot of rumors about them offering, uh, a, a king's ransom to Golden State for the second pick to try to get Lamelo Ball because Lamelo and the Ball family. Oh God! Is, please take it. <laughs> oh, is a is a, is a thing it, that, it, that that needs to happen. Please let that happen for the as sake a Knicks fan. Warriors because that number that number two pick is a curse. That is a curse waiting. Yeah, to yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the Warriors are going to get out of that no matter. The Warriors are not making that pick. They don't. I don't know, man. No I don't player. know. I think everyone knows there it's a shit draft. Yeah, it is. But someone is going to want a guy. And I think they are going to be... Look, if, why not the Knicks? Look, to, to, to put on my Simmons hat, if, if the Knicks offered... <laughs> um, this is a dangerous territory to be in right now. If the Knicks offered... Like, yeah. yeah. I feel like you're having Let's a moment. the Knicks don't even... <laughs> don't even I, I, I'm going to start talking about like I'm going to start like ranking the top moments in in, in Teen Wolf next. Just give me a sec. So <laughs> if the Knicks offered even even if they kept the eighth pick and they offered Mitch Robinson and to take Andrew Wiggins's bad contract into their salary cap for the second mm-hmm. pick, I think the Warriors would have to consider that very very serious. Yeah, that gets yeah, the of, issue with that. That's, that's a lot. The issue is that they need to re, re, they got to replace Wiggins's money. Like they need that Wiggins. Wiggins is a placeholder contract, who's just an right. absolutely average wing. So they would need yeah, there would need to be a third team involved that you can get a better player for Andrew Wiggins for Andrew Wiggins's money. I mean that's because the Knicks sure is held up. I, I, I couldn't, so couldn't the Knicks just take? Couldn't the Knicks? I mean the Knicks have I think like depending on who they who they cut. They could have up to fifty million in cap room. 
depending on where the cap ends up. Couldn't they? Oh just yeah, they they could take. I guess. Contact? And use it as a, tra- and then the Warriors would have a trade exemption. Yeah, give the Warriors a trade exemption. Give them Mitchell Robinson to to as as a rim runner. Yeah. and a rim protector for the second pick. Right. So you you have unburdened them. That. They might. Of, they of, might do that. But the issue is then what do they? Yeah, the issue for the Warriors then is then they have a seventeen million dollar trade exemption, which they're. They, I don't think that some, maybe they can get somebody for free with that exemption, right? Like there's going to be enough teams right. in financial dire straits to where they can probably get somebody, not that great, but somebody. Right. I don't know if anyone's given up twenty two, uh, given up a twenty two million dollar player for nothing. So now you're having to attach next year's Minnesota pick which I don't have a problem with I personally. It's probably get, a first-rounder of your could, own. I think you could get, like, if they wanted to say, take, like, it's, not that he's a great wing, but you could get, like, Nicholas Batum from, from Charlotte for free. Oh, boy. The last year of his contract. I just, is that like an upgrade from Andrew low. Wiggins? Like, no, it's a downgrade, but it's, he's, it's the final year of his contract. Yeah. I just think that the Warriors' entire mindset right now is maximize the year. Yeah, well, you know, look, they have to maximize. I mean, it depends. I I know, like, from everything I've read, the Warriors absolutely believe they can turn Andrew Wiggins into a more productive player than he's been. And they may not be wrong. They have to say that. Um, Yeah. They're legally obliged to say that. But (laughs) (laughs) if, if the Knicks had decent wings that they could throw into that trade, I would say yeah. that you could rework it, but they don't. So that's a problem. Yeah. But like, like, yeah, you might have to work out a third team and move Wiggins around for some, for like a handful. And what you want to do, I think if you're the Warriors is you want to follow what Dallas did and you want to like mm-hmm. take on guys like Delon, Wright, The Curry, the younger and mm-hmm. um, you know, and 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 Dorian Finney, like Dorian Finney Smith, you want to rehab a bunch of capable guys. I don't think you're looking for one wing to replace Andrew Wiggins. You just want to, you really just need three replacement level three and D wings to surround Curry and Clay Thompson. And if you get a rim running, like if you can get the rim running center from the Knicks, now you know there's there are all kinds of questions about yeah. whether how valuable the, the Clint Capella types are in the modern NBA. But I feel like Mm-hmm. If you wanted to take a stab at that guy, that it could be that Mitch Robinson is the guy. He can, he's got like Mitch Robinson has two years or less in his contract, in which he's earning one point two million. That is an incredible oh, he's a great value, and, and he's a, he's a and he's yeah. a really positive player. Um, so there's something there. Yeah. There's something there. I'll call Bob and I'll call the other Bob and see uh, see what he thinks, Bob Myers. Yeah. Let's let's get a quorum of Bobs and see what we can we can get done here. <laughs> quorum like of Bobs it. is a great prog rock band. <laughs> <laughs> yeah man i saw them they opened up for uh, lcd sound system back in 2005 it's a great show love it <laughs> awesome it's awesome totally awesome that was before brooklyn got lame yeah <laughs> believe me i know all right guys <laughs> well this is where we'll have to wrap um dieter what can we check out from you this week in the in the mercury news well, at least we'll get basketball back, so I can talk about that in the Mercury News. And uh, the Giants are doing trade deadline stuff, and something should break there fairly soon. So uh, I'll have the hot takes and the analysis, as I always do. You can follow me on Twitter, at Dieter, D-I-E-P-E-R. Bob, what about you? Yeah, I mentioned it before, but there's a, I got a story about the, um, the Bucks wildcat strike at the Daily Beast. Um, I've got another story coming i think this wednesday about how um how uh um count evaluators are dealing with not being able to see players play and how their other jobs should be a cool fun long piece how nba specifically talent evaluators are have lives have been thrown into this new reality that's going to be a cooler song form thing. It should be next week, I think. All right. Well, go check that out, guys. Thank you, as always, for the time. Uh, we'll be back next Friday. Thank you. This has been Ingram, radio voice of the Atlanta Braves, and I'm here to tell you that you've reached the end of today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. 
As a friend of the podcast, I'd like to say thank you for listening to today's episode and hope you return for the next one. To show your support for the program, tell a friend or coworker or even a family member about the program. And if you're an Apple Podcast listener, leave the show a rating and a review. Goes a long way. That'll do it for me. But don't forget to listen to myself and the rest of the team at 680 The Fan and the Braves Radio Network this season. Go Braves! Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.